Welcome to The Learning Zone, the podcast that takes learning seriously, but not itself. We create the space to unlock human potential with an understanding of science, leadership development, and practical experience. Individuals, leaders, and organizations are facing unprecedented levels of change. So how are we growing, learning, and improving at the pace of it? We are Rob and Rob. Hello and welcome to episode six, uh, as joined every time by Rob and Rob. Rob, how are you doing? I know at this period we've just finished yet another public holiday here in South Africa. Uh, it can be both replenishing but also a little frustrating. Um, how has the, the midweek public holiday been for you? Yeah, it's been good, Rob. Um, you know, we these these holidays come at really good times in relation to us recovering. And, and as we were saying in previous episodes, it's been a busy, busy start to the year. But in the same vein, it's been quite frustrating because we've had an extended period of holidays now. There's, I think, five public holidays that have occurred over the last six weeks in South Africa. And whilst we've had many, you know, really fruitful and um, solid, you know, engagements with our clients, it does create a bit of a delay in us progressing um, the work that we're doing with them as people take prolonged holidays. So um, I kind of call this period the season of automated out-of-office responses where <laughs> you you mail a client and, uh, you know, they've got pressing issues and, and priorities that you're trying to push forward and uh, you, you met with these out-of-office responses. So that's been a bit of a challenge, but um, we're excited for what's to come. There's a lot on the go and we we value also the feedback that we've received from a number of our listeners over the last two or three weeks, which has been great. How about you? How have you been? Yeah, good. And um, I, I love the season of out-of-office responses. And I must say, I do like comparing some of them. Some clients are pretty standard uh, around, I'm out of office, I'll see, I'll see mails on this date, I'll respond on this date. But some people are like, listen, I'm on leave. I've gone to Kruger, taken the whole family. I actually feel like I'm part of their leave uh, where they share a bit of color and, and description. Um, it feels a lot more of a human response, right, than the than the automated response. So I really appreciate that. And someone who's a big proponent of well-being and mental health, I'm really enjoying seeing that flavor with people, uh, sharing a bit more details into their lives. Um, and I think that actually is one of the challenges, you know, with taking leave is people are taking leave, but are they really switching off? Because there's work happening at the office. There's economic uncertainty for a lot of people. And, you know, talking to that whole prove mindset if people want to work they want to show that they're working they want to send emails late at night and maybe over include half the office to show that they're working you know and you know if if the boss emails you at 10 p.m uh and and you can respond do you respond anyway to show them that you're up and available um and it's really interesting because i mean the you know, a lot of jokes can be made, but I think there's going to be some serious issues in the long run uh, with regards to burnout uh, and stress management, because even when people are taking leave, they're not really switching off. Um, so I think it's, it's it's always a great reminder during this time, all right, when you're taking leave, you know, are you really spending the same amount of time that you spend at work when you engage, when you disengage? And I think that's really important uh, for a lot of people right now. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think uh, we're going to touch on a bit of that at the moment as people are really trying to prove their value and show their worth in this hybrid way of working. Those who are working virtually or those who are even going intermittently to the office or, or dispersed over a period of time, you know, how they show up. And similarly, whilst you fully invested in trying to 
perform optimally and bring your best self to work daily, you also need to focus on that oscillation principle of really intentionally trying to recover when you do have the opportunity to do so. Um, but but back to that point also, Rob, was interesting is I thought I'd just share, sorry, we're a bit on a tangent, is one of the pieces of feedback we got and something we're trying to improve upon within our podcast for our listeners is, you know, we're trying to share as much valuable and insightful information around um, how you unlock performance. And as we've said, through not only our, our um, access to deep-rooted neuroscience research, but practical experience and what we've done in working with leaders across the African continent is one of our feed listeners said, you guys have, you know, such valuable input, but you both agree in every instance to what the other says. And how do you challenge some thinking where there's some differing opinions, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, and we're trying to think about how we bring that that separate voice or that disagreement to some extent um, into our conversations. Yeah, and I think that's really great because, you know, we don't want to be yes men. Uh, and it is already ironic that we're both called by the same name, Rob and Rob. Um, and we don't, we also want to bring differing views to it. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it, it's not unsurprising though, in that we do work as a team within a larger enterprise, delivering and partnering with corporates uh, in the same solutions and the same uh, approach to it. So it's not unsurprising that we do agree. But I think something we're going to bring in as we as we carry on this series is really to have contrasting views and really lay it out on the table as well, because you only get better by acknowledging and hearing different views, and you only get better from getting feedback. So just to acknowledge some of that feedback, thanks Dave uh, for sharing that feedback, really appreciate it. And keep the feedback coming. Um, as a reminder, if you want to engage with us, uh, two of the best ways to do it is via our LinkedIn channel uh, and via our Instagram. If you send a message on Instagram, that'll probably be Rob P who will uh, notify you because I still, for some reason, I just can't get hold of the social media of Instagram other than posting pictures, that's about it. Uh, but on LinkedIn uh, and Instagram, we're always happy to connect and always happy to continue the conversation and hear feedback. Another interesting piece of feedback I'll just dangle out there is uh, the decision to bring in other speakers, other leaders, which we're looking to do in the future. And we actually were approached by a former Olympian uh, last week, an international Olympian with, with a very popular movie that was made about himself and his team. And we're having an exploratory conversation next week to see if maybe he wants to join us on on the show as well. So open to all collaborations and all connections and look out for us on LinkedIn and Instagram at The Learning Zone Podcast. But as we get into the topic for today, I think it's very interesting actually in light of what we've been talking about around taking time off, trying to prove ourselves, um, feeling uh, within and without, I think, as uh, the great, great Gatsby would say, there's a really interesting dynamic around a lot of that kind of behavior playing out and the discussion around the hybrid work office. Do we go back to work? Do we not? Do we force people? Do we give them an option? How included do people feel? And what are the perceptions? What are the assumptions? And what are the biases that are happening right now? And if we go back to our last episode talking about biases and decision-making, that was really about the understanding that biases are mental shortcuts that help us make decisions, but they also get in the way. And that plays out a lot when we think about the nature of bias and inclusion in a virtual world. Yeah, Rob, I'm, I'm so excited about this topic because 
more so now than ever, many leaders and many um, organizational executives are prioritizing teamwork and how in this hybrid model, as you've spoken about, teams perform and function optimally. And you know what's, what we're seeing play out a lot now is as some individuals elect to work from home, either because it's more convenient or because they don't have the means to come into the office or because their role um, you know, dictates that they don't have to be um, functioning face-to-face. But what's really playing out now in this virtual world of work is we're seeing heightened levels of competition of individuals trying to outdo and outperform one another and many individuals feeling quite excluded and ostracized in the way they go about their work. They're hearing about a meeting that took place or um, a task team that was put together to you know, progress a project forward and they weren't made aware of that team and they weren't included in the team. And in their mind, their biases are playing out. They're trying to make sense of why they weren't involved. And that physical proxy of not being able to see one another and create clarity and expectation around what was required for that particular task or why that meeting was held means people see the worst and assume the worst that they're not valued, they're not respected, and maybe their their input wasn't needed. And I think this is playing out so often, and it's it's such a burning platform for this conversation. Sure. And um, I, I'm just thinking about all the times I feel excluded. And um, what, what's been really helpful that we'll we'll get to in a second is the science of, you know, why that computer between the ears always defaults to those feelings of exclusion. But to be very vulnerable, that is one of my biggest pain points uh, in business is seeing other meetings happening and me thinking I should have been invited, but not getting invited and not knowing why. Yo, that bugs me. And what, what we've actually seen in business, besides the bugging, the pain, the feelings, it actually is a distraction and it limits your cognitive resources because for the rest of the day, they've, they've actually done some studies, there's about 30, 40% of your time is wasted mulling over that feeling than rather doing your work. And w- when I was reading some of, that, some of that stats behind it, I was like, that's me, man, every time. Um, and once I understood the science a bit better, um, I, I really got a better handle on what my brain is doing to me and more importantly, how I can control it. And I think it's really important to get to the science in a bit, but just a bit more why it's so relevant right now is that it has been happening and I think it's going to get worse for a lot of people because people are deciding to work from the office, not from the office in the hybrid model. I actually was on a call with with, with the CEO of a major insurance provider in in Africa and he said one of the biggest takeaways of, of their 2020 as a business was that the business cannot work without good teamwork. And there's a lot of teamwork happening right now that is suboptimal because people are tense. People are trying to prove themselves. People are over-including. People are under-including. People, people don't know why. Um, and it's really having an impact on performance because people are being led by assumptions, right? For example, um, I don't get included in a meeting. I know the business is struggling right now. Is my job on the line? Am I next? You know, that's and, and that's part of the brain's natural wiring. You know, we often default to the worst. We often say, rather be safe than sorry, rather assume the worst. And it's maladaptive and it's stressful and it's burnout. And an, another big reason is people are sometimes worried of not being inclusive enough. So we so we over-include people in emails. We FYI a lot. We try to prove ourselves. And how do people switch off? How do people actually switch off? Because 
that's really what's going to get us through this pandemic and post-pandemic world is a better understanding of resilience, a better understanding of how we can include at the right space of time. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to navigate that in this hybrid world because there's a lot of perceptions, a lot of mental biases around who's really working, if they're at the, at the office or not. And if someone decides to work virtually from a different location, I have an, a friend in Cape Town, he works for a global advertising firm and, and they're a very, um, I, I wouldn't say woke, but they're very mature business. And he said to me, Rob, you know, me and the missus, we're going to go to Bali for three weeks. We both can work virtually, you know. But now what's the perceptions around that? I'm like, sure, go for it. If you have that freedom, work virtually because you're working virtually anyway. But is the rest of the team going to see it like that? Is he really going to, is the perception of really going to be working? If he's in Bali, working virtually at the same hours. And I think more of those discussions are really happening for people right now is what are the assumptions around people actually working with regards to biases, the mental shortcuts, and how are we including people uh, to really drive those smarter teams or are people feeling excluded? Um, and as a result, our cognitive capacity is wasted. We're wasting resources trying to figure out you know, why are we included, why are we not? And are we actually devote, devoting the best parts of our thinking to get our work done? Yeah, and, and Rob, one thing that I wanted to make mention of is we've, we've spoken about on previous episodes, but, you know, we as individuals, we social beings at our core, and we crave social acceptance and engagement on a regular basis. And what's interesting, all the research shows is that the brain can't distinguish physical pain from emotional pain. And when people are excluded, that um, that that the same part of the brain lights up. And as you say, you become so emotionally invested and try to make sense of why you were excluded that you're wasting cognitive resources just doing that. And I think we're going to speak a lot about this coming up now is around how you overcome that in fostering more inclusive and smarter teams by by expectation matching. And I think that's very, very key too. Um I think that's really good, Rob, and I, I really want to get to that. But I, I also want to bring that point home that you've said because it's so it's so foundational. And and what I'd like to do now is I'd like to encourage all the listeners, all the viewers on the YouTube channel as well to reflect on, and you, Rob, my uh, esteemed co-host, to reflect on what it felt like when you were excluded, what it felt like when you didn't get the wedding invite you thought you should have got, what it felt like when you didn't that you weren't included in the email chain that affected something in your business unit. What was that feeling like? And, and for Rob, if you, don't, if you don't mind being a guinea pig here on that, you know, what did it feel like um, if, if you recently felt uh, excluded from something? It, it hurts, Rob. I mean, they make no bones about it. Or, you know, in, in many instances, I'm, I'll give you an example that happened of late is um, within one function of our business, obviously, I, I head up the sales and business development. But... Um, a long-standing relationship I had where a number of pieces of work had been sold, um, another stakeholder engaged with that client and started to position more work off the back of the initial work and then had proposed a whole solution. Now, you know, we give our team autonomy to function because we know we've got some really strong resources to do great work, but there was three or four um, conversations that occurred and that client mailed me back to say, I didn't know about it and the client mailed me back and said, we're so excited to begin this program. And obviously we, there's so much going on. I asked the team member, what happened here? And I was like, I kind of felt like the relationship I had with them, which was so, you know, we've had for a number of years, 
I felt like I was completely cut out of that and I hadn't been involved in this big success that had occurred. And um, I had to catch myself and go, well, we've been successful and we've delivered what was required, but I kind of felt like I had a big role to play in the initial stages in getting that client to where they are now. And being left out, you know, it did. It, it started to question why wasn't I involved? Why didn't they bring me in because of my role in the past? So it, it does. I mean, you it's hard to distinguish. And, and, and it's amazing because me and you both know the science. We know the research. We know the application. And it still happens to us. And it's still not our, and, and it's our default. Right? You're, you're de- you, you were able to frame it and we're going to get into how you, how you possibly did that. And thanks for sharing that example. Um, but it happens. It's our default and our first reaction. And it may have felt like a slap in the face, right? It may have felt like a punch in the gut. And that's often the language that people use when they describe that feeling. And it's funny and also very telling that what happens in the brain correlates with that kind of language. There's a part of the brain called the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex. Don't worry about the spelling, just know that it exists. <laughs> <laughs> and that part of the brain lights up when you feel excluded and also when you stub your toe on a coffee table. That part of the brain also lights up when you, you like it definitely lit up in that moment when someone else was kind of in your territory that you thought you you know get better ownership of than, than them. And it also lights up when you crash your hand in a car door. That social exclusion feels the same as physical pain, in the brain at least. And that's why we use that language. It felt like a slap in the face that someone got in there into my client. And I also know, and all kudos to you, you love your clients as I love mine. And we're very protective because <laughs> we really partner with them. We form you know, quite intimate relationships um, at a real partnership level. So it's hard when we see other people going into you know, people that we care for and serve day in and day out. And it's amazing because what happens in the brain is it triggers that threat response. As we've gone throughout this series, a threat response put essentially, not your best thinking. You're led by bias, you're led by assumption. And that's happening for a lot of people right now. How can I go and leave when meetings are happening? What's going to be discussed there? People are having networking events. Am I being invited? What's being discussed? Am I in the loop or not? Because there's parts of the brain that require certainty. And because we're uncertain right now, we don't have the same kinds of certainty, like an office, uh, regular meeting times in the canteen, parking bays, all these you know artificial constructs of organizational culture. People's brains are being triggered left, right, and center. Inclusion, exclusion, bias, assumption. Uh, and it's really becoming something we need to get right if we're going to navigate this post-pandemic world. Yeah, and, and Rob, what's interesting to make mention of is all the neuroscience research states that unless you're consciously including, you're probably unconsciously excluding. And because we've spoken about uh, this in the previous episode around bias, is we're functioning on autopilot between 80 and 90% of our day because our brain's trying to manage that cognitive load. And unless you make a conscious effort to include people where it makes sense, and that's the operative word, where it makes sense, and where it's beneficial to the team with which you work, um, you're probably excluding people and putting them in a threat state where they're not being them best, their best selves. And um, I think that's one thing to make mention of too. And as leaders and as individuals and as entrepreneurs and as even within our family constructs, we need to think about where does it make sense to include? And if you are excluding, being very, very clear upfront about why you're doing so. 
I think that is definitely inclusion 2.0, Rob. And I'm glad you <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because you you've said two very interesting things there. The, the first of all is that if you're not consciously including, you're probably unconsciously excluding. But that really comes from I mean, you know, a lot of the work that that um, that we're doing with NLI uh, and our partnership with with leaders at the moment. But it also comes from an understanding of there's four times more real estate in the brain wired for threat than reward. And what that means is we're four times more likely to feel threatened, especially in uncertain circumstances. There there was a really great uh, study that was done actually a few years ago where they tested out some of these things. And they essentially gave people three different faces, a happy face, an angry face, and an uncertain face. And they measured the level of threat in, in people. And they found that with a happy and, a, and an angry face, there was different levels of threat. Obviously, one is an angry face looking at you, one's a happy face. There should be a differentiation. But what they didn't expect was that the uncertain face caused the most threat, more so than the angry face. And that just goes to show that when we have incomplete data, when we have uncertainty, we assume the worst. When we don't have the clarity of why we weren't involved, we think our job's on the line, that's it. I'm done, you know, better start looking, putting the CV out, right? And that's an extreme example. I'm being a bit facetious, but that's the reality of how the brain mechanisms affect some of our, our behavior and some of our self-talk. Yeah, and, and Rob, before we get into kind of the habits, because, you know, we often talk about what can we do to make sure that we create inclusive teams that are smarter, more collaborative and are performing optimally. But one thing that I've always found insightful is, the risk and the danger of over-inclusion. And I think we need to make mention of that because there's a lot of science that speaks to, you know, leaders and individuals paying attention to being overly inclusive, you know, ceasing people in mails, inviting them to meetings or putting them in project teams where they're wondering why they're there. And it takes a lot more cognitive load for them to be there in the first instance because expectations aren't clear. But what's interesting to mention is that um, a lot of the neuroscience speaks to inclusion on a pendulum and it can swing from under inclusion where you know people fail to loop in the right team members in meetings, uh, projects or emails to optimal inclusion where the right people know the right info at the right time to, as I mentioned earlier, over inclusion where people sit in meetings wondering, what am I doing here and why do I need to be here? And I think we spoke a lot, we spoke briefly earlier around um, the way that you overcome that is through expectation matching. And, um, you know, maybe you can share a little bit about why expectation matching is so crucial in driving what we call optimal inclusion in this virtual world. Yeah, and I think it's best framed by inclusion at the speed of execution. So if you are running a sales meeting, are we getting the whole team there? If we're running a town hall, are we there? But is the expectation set for everyone's contribution? And I think that's really what it's about is when we're getting groups of people together, is my expectation of their contribution aligned to their expectation of their contribution? Because sometimes I just included people just to include them so they don't feel left out. But do they know that? You know, as a leader of a business and I'm making a decision to include in a project team and I, would, I just want some people just to attend to get exposed to the discussion. Have I framed that with them? Or are they getting an invite from a manager saying, oh, I've been invited to this meeting. I better prepare something. I better be on point. I better research. You know, you know, how are they using their cognitive capacity? And the biggest thing actually to, 
to mitigate that is clarity. And as I say, including at the speed of, of execution. So everyone is matched with the expectations of contribution because expectation mismatch is going to lead to more threat states and more wastage of that, you know, limited cognitive capacity. Yeah. And I think, I think you've touched on, you mentioned the threat state that happens in the brain earlier, but um, when we run into something, whether that's a meeting or a team interaction that violates or kind of, you know, isn't aligned to the expectations that were either not explicit or implicit in many ways, it causes our brain to do the heavy lifting. And with a finite amount of cognitive resources at our disposal that we spoke about in the previous episode, uh, the more those expectations are violated, the less focus and thought we can have to the things that really matter. And I think that's also very, very crucial. So we need to exp- we need to think about how we explain the needs and the outcomes required before we go into including people and make it very, very explicit as to what the expectations are ahead of time. And then people are a lot more comfortable in the fact that they have been excluded and they understand the reasons why. And I think what's really, really empowering and where that's done well, and I've seen it happen in our team, is everyone's on the same page around what those priorities are. Um, and those who are left out understand why from the get-go. Um, and, and then the certainty and the feel, that, that feeling of fairness is rewarding. People go, okay, actually, I can now focus on the things that I think are a priority. And I've been made clear. It's been made to, clear to me why I don't need to necessarily be there. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's not unsurprising why a lot of the leadership advice, if you look at a lot of articles right now, leaders are trying to navigate the crisis and inspire people. And one of the biggest drivers, and this was, this was some of the research done in 2020, is people want transparency and they want frequency and clarity and communication. And frequency and clarity is going to give people that certainty of expectation matching and why I need to be involved um, as well. But, you know, if, if we talk about things that we, you know, would encourage people to experiment with uh, before the next episode, uh, which is coming out weekly, uh, as, as we're doing at the moment, is to think about how can you be deliberately inclusive with people? Because remember, if you're leaving something that's ambiguous or uncertain on the table, they could be assuming the worst. They could be, you know, running around with a threat state brain uh, and not really using their cognitive capacity on getting their work done. So how are you being deliberately inclusive? How are you also checking expectations with people? Um, and a big part of that is also about being human. Um, you know, and pe- pe- people do appreciate vulnerability right now more than ever and a deeper sense of empathy. But if we're being consciously inclusive, we're being deliberate in that, and we're being deliberate in providing certainty for people, not just assuming people have certainty, I think we can go a long way to managing um this uh this this hybrid work equation and um one thing i want to mention is actually an article that came out two days ago from dr amy edmondson one of my favorite research bays i mean she is uh she is the mother of psychological safety a construct so important right now but they wrote a big piece around psychological safety in the hybrid workforce and how are we creating that space that people feel safe to speak up to say i don't want to come to the office i actually save money by staying staying at home i don't want to come to the office i actually uh you know i stay with a partner that's very paranoid about health and risk concerns or are people just feeling left out and there's actually actually something interesting that's happened uh in my in my circle and, and in my network is 
The feeling of social inclusion and exclusion is so powerful for people that they would risk COVID. Sometimes people may be exposed, but maybe they don't tell people. Maybe they're going for a test, but they don't let people down. Maybe they, you know, I have to go to work, but I'm not really comfortable because I'm worried about COVID. But can I feel comfortable saying that I don't want to be at the office? I'm worried about, I'm so worried about that, that I'm willing to potentially risk my life in some ways. And I know that's an extreme sense, but it was something that we were talking about right now because people don't feel included enough to voice their concerns and to navigate, uh, you know, this growing hybrid work, work change. Yeah, and the, the, those are some insightful tips, Rob. But I, I also think that we need to be conscious of unlocking the full potential of individuals in this virtual world. And the more we can be inclusive at an, in an optimal way, the likelihood is we'll perform that much better. And the viewpoints, contributions, and input from your team will unlock so much more than you could have ever imagined. And I think what leaders need to be conscious of is in this world is having those frequent regular check-ins and, and conversations with their team um, and understanding where people are at right now. Because unless you're doing that, you're not going to be acutely aware of what people are grappling with and struggling with. And if you can create, as you said, you know, Amy, Amy's article that came out in the Harvard Business Review was really, really insightful, but is around giving people a voice and as leaders being vulnerable yourself to say, I'm grappling with many, many things. What are you grappling with? So you can start to get a gauge as to what people need support with. Um, and, and I think that's that's a that's a, a, a key, key component. You know, the, the old adage of the whole is greater than the sum of its parts couldn't be more true in this virtual world um, right now because many people in working from home are assuming the worst, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah, because they don't have that clarity and they don't have that deeper yes. sense of inclusion and connection. And I love your points around just digging a bit deeper, but also with the caveat to be respectful sometimes. Sometimes people are like, I leave my personal stuff at the door, I get into the office, but now this vir virtual office never ends. And to discuss some of the decisions as, as uh, were actually highlighted in this article, and I'll make sure to share this article on our LinkedIn page. So uh, that, that's a little plug to go like the LinkedIn page if you want to get access to some of this research that we talk about, is you have to discuss the personal stuff and understand each other at a human level. And one of the best ways to do it, and it's my kind of secret source or superpower tip at the moment that I'm experimenting with, is stop asking people, how was the weekend or how was your day? Because as soon as you ask that, what do you get? I'm fine. It's okay. It was great. And if it wasn't great, but I would even really tell you, right? Yeah. Take a mindful moment to dig a little deeper and sometimes change the question that makes people stop in their tracks. Sometimes say, you know, if like today, today is a, is a Saturday when we are, are, are recording this to say, how's your Saturday? Or if you're talking on a Monday, like, how's your Monday going so far? And like, oh. Monday. I was like, oh, how, how my day is? How's my Monday? Oh, well, Monday, it's the start of the week. Not bad for a Monday. Um, how's your Wednesday? When it's a Wednesday? Oh, it's actually the middle of the week. It pauses people to be more mindful and give a more mindful response. So one thing I love to do is ask them about the day specifically. And if it's on the weekend, stop asking how the weekend was. Ask them, what was the best part of the weekend? And you get some great responses and some human responses. I mean, um, I love my colleagues in, in Cape Town. I was chatting to the one the other day and she, sh she shared with me how she binge watched an entire series on Netflix on Sunday. It was the best part of her whole damn weekend. And that's great. You know, that, that digs a little deeper and you get, and you get a, 
a slice of the human that we don't always see. Yeah, I think it's that human-centered approach to leadership, really, really taking a vested interest in understanding who you're talking to and, and what the interests are. But I think one thing that's key just to 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 wrap up, Rob, is you know, we we've obviously in our in our in the work that we do with organizations, and you've spoken about creating psychologically safe environments where people feel included, they have a voice, they're valued and respected, and they want to contribute to the broader purpose. Is Lencioni talks about the the critical foundation of any effective or high performing team is trust, and psychologically safe psychologically safe environments link closely to building trust environments. So, you know, when you have an inclusive team that's focused intentionally around achieving a mutual or um, combined goal, you know, you do create a space where trust is is the basis, and people can share the things that we've just spoken about. I think that's a great thing, and I think. Definitely, my last comments on this. I just it just triggered a thought. Is 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 the famous now philanthropist but billionaire Jack Ma, almost the Asian Bill Gates or Elon Musk? I, I might say, or Jeff Bezos, essentially the, the Jeff Bezos of Asia. And they were asked him in an interview once. They said, "What is the most important thing in your career?" And he's had an amazing career. Look him up. He's really uh, been in turmoil and had hard times, but he's been super successful. And he says the most important thing and important ingredient to the success of his career was trust and his quote in that conference was i take trust over one million dollars any day and that's really what people rely on in teams when we're dealing with incomplete data and dealing with uncertainty can we trust each other to get things right when they need to especially when we don't have the certainty of what's going to happen Rob, it's been another great time chatting, uh, as always. Uh, lots to experiment on, lots to think about. I love how we do these live. We, we don't know how they're going to really go. We have a few talking points, and um, I think it's really been a, uh, another great one so far. Yeah, uh, thanks a lot to all our listeners. Once again, um, we'd love to hear your feedback. If you could give us a review on whatever platform you prefer to listen to our podcasts on, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, please give us a review and send us your feedback. You know, we're always looking to improve. And I think we've got a nice series of of really thought-provoking topics coming up in the near future. Cheers, everyone. Goodbye for now.